This is the Living in Post-Christian America podcast. I am Brad Hansen. Lance is here. Again, we're just doing this kind of as an experiment. It gives us a chance to talk about stuff. And if you want to, you know, go along with us or disagree or agree, that's cool. But something that's really interesting to me is when you realize that you're living in exile. Like, I am not the majority culture here, and I'm not here to dictate what the culture should be. I've got my own space here. We're different. It's very much like the situation the Israelites faced mm-hmm. in, when they were taken into exile. And we have this book, Jeremiah, that's about that. We got more than just that, but it's telling us to be for the city. It's telling us not to assimilate, which is a temptation that we have to just go, hey, you know what? Whatever the larger culture is saying is right, I'll just go with it. And I'll try to fuse it somehow with my Christianity. But basically, I will bend the knee to whatever the culture says. That's assimilation to me. And then there's the other option that some people are taking, which is I'm going to withdraw entirely and just be strange and different and not have to worry about the larger culture at all because I won't have anything to do with these people. And I'll try to cut that off. I don't know many people that are actually doing that, but those seem like two options. Mm. And you've written about this. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what about those options? What does it say in Jeremiah? What are your thoughts on how we adapt to our larger culture? Yeah, you know, and I do think this Jeremiah passage, Jeremiah 29, Mm -hmm. I think it really is apropos for us today because especially depending on if you grew up as a Christian, you grew up in a Christian home, it can kind of end up in, and look, and I raised, I mean, I I was a pastor the whole, every day my children were in the womb all the way up to when they left home. So, you know, we raised our kids in in a Christian home, et cetera. But it can become very much like this Jeremiah 29, especially now, uh, because there's been like an acceleration in the last few years of Christendom going down the tubes. Mm -hmm. And basically, for anybody listening, Christendom basically means, I always just break it down and say Christianity dominating. It's when it, it's when Christians have home field advantage, right? And most of us grew up in that. Our age grew up in that. But, But those days are rapidly, they're over. Some places in the South... You feel it. You still kind of see it. I mean, where I live right now in the panhandle of Florida, all the local police cars have a bumper sticker that says, in God we trust. But you're not going to see that in Boston, <laughs> right? You're Mm-mm. not going to see that in Sacramento. So kind of in the south, in the deep south, there's still some of that, hey, we're, you know, we, we're, we're on top. You know, we kind of call the shots. Well, but that's rapidly and rapidly decline. Now, what can happen for Christians is if you are relying upon living in as in Christian empire, when that goes, you are really, you're not going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. The Jeremiah passage is very good for us because they found themselves all of a sudden captives in Babylon. And of course, Babylon, and you see it pop up in Revelations, it really represents the world system, right, and the world's control. So a lot of Christians have not thought through, well, what would it look like if all of a sudden we were exiled? Because we've been used to living in empire. And so the things that you said there about, you know, being assimilated into or withdrawing from the culture, you know, these different options. But God was calling the Israelites to do something really different, Mm -hmm. right? He's Mm -hmm. calling them to do something not to be uh, defensive against, not to be isolated from, not to be absorbed into the culture. He's calling, but he's calls them to dig into the culture. And so the Jeremiah 29 passage, Jeremiah 29, four through seven, these Israelites do find themselves in Babylon. 
And here's what the Lord says. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, mm-hmm. hold, hold on. He says he sent them there. I mean, that's, wow. Yeah, and think about it in, in spiritual terms, too. So they worship this God, which makes them distinct, right? So the home field advantage you're talking about would be, even if people aren't living out actual Jesus stuff, there's ostensibly this consensus belief that this is the God. Yeah. That this God, the God of the Bible, in our right. case, like we're, we're saying this, he's the, he's the one. But what happens when you're flipped into a culture where they're like, no, he's not. Yeah. No, he's not in control. We worship other gods. And I think it's easier, it's stark relief there in Babylon. So they literally have gods that they worship. Yeah. I mean, the Near Eastern religions, you can read all about them. Right. There's different gods. There's different understanding of the world. Right. Polytheism. Yeah, all about it. It's, it. And the world has a different story. It's a different narrative, which is exactly where we are now. That People do worship other gods in our culture. Right. Whether they, whether they would call it that or not, that, that's where we are. So we need to realize that, that that's... When, when we're talking about being in exile, being in a place where people worship other gods. Right. Not, not the God that we believe in. Right. So, and, where, rate, and where the, they'll, they'll even increasingly look down upon you for claiming. Yes. You're saying. What? Jesus is right. the only way. It's ex- exclusive. It's, right. it's, uh, it's hard to take. It's out of step. And that, that, that becomes the case with the early Christians, too. It's like, right. look, just say that it's a God right. out of many right. and, and like still like bend the knee here. Right. And we'll, you'll, be, you'll be fine with us. Right. We can, we can we can work it out. Right. It's like <laughs> so there there's this I, I just think it's it's cool to see that. Like to to see that how relevant this is for us. But yeah. it is interesting that this so the God that they believe in is like, I sent you. I sent you into this situation. <laughs> right. right. And so to be to be in this place where all these other gods right, are right. so I think that's the first point we have to realize is wherever you are right now as a believer, as a Jesus follower, is you have been sent there, you know, and so you may be living on a, a six-month lease in an apartment building somewhere, and you're like, oh, I'm just here temporarily. I just found this place. You were sent there. Hmm. You were sent there. You're a elementary school teacher. You were sent there. Even even though it's not comfortable. Even though it's not comfortable. It doesn't mean God didn't send you there. It doesn't mean God didn't send you there. Absolutely. And so if we start looking at ourselves as the sent people of God, the people that have been sent, that it, it, God's a missionary God. And you just see this throughout the, the history of Scripture and, and constantly the Lord's. And then Jesus in the New Testament, he says, the Father sent me. Mm-hmm. And then later on he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So God's ascending God. So he does send us into the places. But one of the problems has been in Christendom is we have assimilated ourselves into one box called a church building. And we we call it church, and it's not church. It's it's a building for the church to gather. But we, we, we've been really good at gathering, but we've not really been good at viewing ourselves as the sent people of God, salt and light spread out into a community, a city, a culture. And so this text is saying, hey, and this should be calming for us. This should be assuring for us. It should put some juice in us. Oh, wait, 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 the Lord sent me. Yeah. Right? It's it, like, oh, okay. It's a little harder to see it in, in these terms, like, because we're still occupying the same territory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but the culture changed. Yeah. Versus if we had been physically removed and put somewhere else. 
Like you get it. I'm a missionary. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm it's in very China. clear. Exactly. It's like okay. Yeah. yeah so wake I'm up in, every morning, man. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray fervently. Yeah, I'm gonna be looking I'm in China, out. man. It's different. That's right. Right. But because it's like no, we still we still think that this is our this it's, could be our empire. Right. Right. And so it's just let's let's force let's force our way to make it that way again. Yeah. And so it's the more Lord exactly. And so the Lord they find themselves in this exilic situation, and you can think of all the things that the Lord could tell them. You know, it's hey, okay, listen. I want you to play cool, like right, right. Get all your left behind books. Get them down in your basement. You know, store up plenty of water. Get your rapture <laughs> rations all set in place. You know, you got to weather this thing. You know, get ready. You know, uh, homeschool your kids. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And look, and we homeschooled our kids. So trust me, that's not a knock against homeschooling. So do we. Well, I better not say we. My wife did. They would have ended up being morons if I had homeschooled. I say the same thing. I'm not kidding. I say the same thing. We homeschooled our kids, and then I add the the parentheses. No. Actually, my wife did. Yeah, my wife. It's like guys go, we're pregnant. No, y'all aren't pregnant. No, dude. You. (laughs) Right. She's pregnant. He's the one doing this. So. Can I, let me interject something really quickly about the homeschooling thing. It was really interesting, this interplay between me and some friends. Mm. When our kids are growing up and we're doing this, they thought that we were sheltering our kids. I'm uh. like, yes, we are. Yeah, I am, for the time being. Mm-hmm. But my goal is to more and more give them more freedom as they get older, even within our house. But, like, yes, there's there's a degree of sheltering that I'm turning over to them so that right. I can unleash them on the world as sort of mostly formed adults. Right. And then... To be sure, they're like, no, you're too scared. Literally, it was like we had these discussions. Wow. Like, you're just scared of the world. So my son goes to Berkeley. My daughter goes to Manhattan right out of college. Or wow. not, not out of college, out of high school. Right. And lives in an apartment in Manhattan and cool. is now working with Compassion. Right. And if you did not, if you had not had them prepared, I mean, yeah, that's the proof of the proof. You don't send a young man to Berkeley. No. And and a young lady to Manhattan, if you're not, I mean, they would have gotten eaten no, I'm not, up. I wasn't, we weren't scared. At the time, we weren't scared. Right. It wasn't like, but there is a sheltering thing. So it's, again, I don't want them to assimilate. I do want them to be a blessing to the world. Right. Right. So justice is at Yale now. Again, not a pro-Christian environment in New Haven. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not scared of engaging the world or engaging science or whatever he, you know the stuff he's doing. But it's just like it's just really interesting to me because it's usually seen as an either or thing. I think the homeschool points out this dilemma that we're talking about yeah, yeah. of oh, so you're withdrawing from the world, right? No, but I'm also not going to assimilate. We're yeah. going to make we're going to make some different kind of kids. Right. This is not a not a rip against public schools or anything. Nope. It's just like there are ways to engage this culture where you're. You're, you're not assimilating. Exactly, exactly. And I think part of that is realizing, even as we raise children, to say, just like this text is, is okay, they, the Lord is going to send them out. And so this is the whole issue of us, you know, and Peter talks about this. He says, you know, you are a, a holy nation. You know, you, you are, a, our citizenship is of heaven, you know. So it's, no, I, we are from a different place, but we are sent into this earth. Yeah, right? to be a blessing. To be a blessing. And that's where this text gets to. So then he goes on and he says, you know, I have sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. And you're like, okay, you can hear the drum roll. Okay. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, so so far, this is just normative. It's like, make a life. Yeah. 
And you, what strikes me about that right now, I, I don't want to interrupt your train yeah. of thought, but there is concern. I think it's legitimate. I, no, I, think, I think the concern is legitimate. Just think about where the culture is going. Sometimes you think, I have to act to stop the way the culture is going because it's, it's going to be brutal for my kids. Mm-hmm. It's going to be brutal for their kids if they continue to be Jesus people. There's, I get that. So I know some people are like, well, why would I even, like, some people who are totally secular feel that way. Like, why would I even have kids? It's going oh, down, yeah. everything's going that, down the drain. You hear that a lot. Yeah, why would I even do that? Like, right. this is the way the world's going, things are falling apart, the increased rancor and division and yep. war. And all. God's saying, be optimistic about having kids. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Dig in. Dig Make in. Make a life. And maybe they'll have kids too. Right. Like, that's good. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's it, optimistic. And it, it is interesting, like, what were you saying there made me think of something, that, look, it's not only Christians that are concerned about the culture. Oh, totally. That's right. And right. if you, I've seen so many, and I'm sure, you know, whether it be podcasts or interviews or whatever, of uh, celebrities that are on regular television shows, sitcoms, whatever it might be, dramas or actors, I have seen so many of them go, yeah, we don't have a TV in our house. Oh, absolutely. We don't let our kids watch TV. And like, wait, <laughs> this is what you do. Right. You're in the industry, and they're like, yep. That's why I don't let my kids watch TV. Silicon Valley. It's amazing. You know, where they send their kids to school, like the, the elite private schools are uh-huh. anti-tech. Like they don't get iPads. It's only the, the public schools are all it's about the ironic, tech. ironic, isn't it? But yeah, they're, these are the Silicon Valley execs yeah. and millionaires yeah. opting like, out of tech for their like, kids. Yeah, my, my, my 11-year-old's not getting an iPhone. Uh-uh. It's like, they're well, like, nope. We know what it can do. So there is a sensibility about <laughs> yeah, things it's falling ama- apart. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a reason for us not to have kids. No. Like, no. Even if we it's do. It's more since, reason for us to yeah, have kids. It's weird that when it, when a culture is at its end cycle, and I've seen this across, uh, I've seen studies about just society, civilizations over time, mm-hmm. but one of the common signs of a civilization in steep decline towards the end is we're not having kids anymore. There's There's a lack of artistic... Um, fervor, it all becomes nostalgia and mm. satire, mm. and people stop having kids. There's just like this this energy has left the room. Yeah. Like we spent our energy, we created this stuff. Mm. Now we can't do much of anything. We just kind of make fun of things. And then we like having some food that tastes really, really good and amusing ourselves, and then not having kids because there's this lack of optimism. Yeah. But it's just interesting that even in this culture, is at Babylon, he's saying, do it. Yeah, no, he said, yeah, go, go, man, go for it. Build a home, plant the gardens, have kids. And then he tags this at the end of all that. And he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you Mm -hmm. in exile. He says it again, Mm -hmm. seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's huge because if we let that sink in, we see that the Lord is saying, Wherever he has sent us, be a contributor. Make it robust. Mm-hmm. Contribute to it. Don't just be a consumer. And that's the thing is consumerism, you know, most people think of consumerism just as, oh, well, I take advantage of Prime Day, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, and and so all this stuff, you know, and get more tech and more, you know, whatever it might be, buying cars and things about that. But consumerism is a day-to-day ideology that starts with, and I always ask people this, and to say, okay, how many people do you know have, have moved into a neighborhood? And is there, you know, you, you, you start looking for a new home. Let's say you're married. 
And so you and your spouse start, you know, looking online or you start, this is the area of town we want to live in and da-da-da-da, and you start looking for a home. I, I can't tell you I've ever heard anybody go, well, our priority was we wanted to find a area that we could be a blessing to. Hmm. No, that's not usually the way we start. We start with, oh, um, this is a safe neighborhood. This would be a safe place to raise kids or it's convenient to my golf course or it's convenient to my work or it's, it, you know, it's, it's, you don't hear people go, our fervent prayer is, Lord, where, what neighborhood are you sending us to? So, so there's a different mindset. So that's the mindset of a missionary, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that a huge case could be made if you read the New Testament that that's the mindset he wants us to have. So that's the difference in being a consumer and being someone that, that is sent, right, that has the ideology of being sent. So we're supposed to be a blessing, which, which it means adding value to people's lives. And there's so many different ways to do that when you are, honestly, in any neighborhood, but you're right. Like, you, if you have that mindset that is not a consumer mindset, like, how am I going to add value yeah. to people. It just so happens, and we mentioned this in a previous po- podcast, but it's like, that just happens to be a more fun way to live. Oh, The way he's describing, here's how I want you to live in Jeremiah, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I will say, once you're, if you have kids, it's really hard to have that, that mentality. Let's pick a neighborhood yeah. that's got all sorts of problems. I will say, once our kids were older, we were able to do that and have been able to do that and actually pick neighborhoods to go huh, there's something here. Right. And I just want to share this as a success story. Like the last neighborhood we left, people were really, really emotional mm. that we were leaving. Mm. The whole neighborhood. Now, this is a very non, this is not, this very post-Christian area we were in. But there was a lament that there was you lament. guys were leaving. Yeah, and that's sweet. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. That's, I feel really. That's I, what you would hope for. I, I totally, mean. it is. And I think that that's what I want to, that's what I really what I want to say. This is what, this is a, a a goal and objective you can have. Yeah. That if you were taken out of Babylon, that Babylon would be like, dang. Man, we hate to see the good news people leave. I know, right? exactly. I mean, that's... But we've, we have experienced this, and it's yeah. from being awkward and taking risks, and and yeah. then when then people are like, you can't, you, please don't go. Yeah. That's, You're the glue. Yeah, that's that, and and that is a beautiful thing, you know, and that's... It is. They should miss you. They, it, sh- they should. And, you know, even some of the things that we've talked about on a couple of previous podcasts uh, is if we will let our imagination op- open up, you don't have to do extravagant things no. to love your neighbors and to love your neighborhood. In fact, it's usually the very simple things. I had a buddy, uh, have a friend in Kansas City. He pastored the second largest church in Kansas City. Uh, it's a multi-site church, huge church, kind of his thing was cigars. You know, a lot of guys smoke cigars. A lot of dudes smoke cigars. And it's totally wrong, but go ahead. It's it's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Right? Pipes are No, okay. pipes are where it's at. Totally. That's right. So, anyway, so. Come on. I, mean, I feel convicted that you even said that. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no, go ahead. I'm so, sorry. anyway, Dan, he had a group of, a, of a two or three buddies that would come over once a week, like on, let's say, a Thursday night. It was just a regular deal. Yeah. They'd sit out in the backyard, a little fire pit, and smoke cigars. You know, spend a couple hours smoking cigars. It was just their their deal. Well, one afternoon, Dan was kind of getting his fire pit ready. The guys were going to come over that night. And his wife said to him, why don't you pull that fire pit out in the front of the house? Why don't you put it ah. on the driveway? And he's like, now, Mary, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and she said, well, 
I bet you there's other guys in the neighborhood. You know it. That would love to hang out. And he and uh, he goes, well, wow, you know, like I hadn't thought about that. Uh-huh. So he drags the his fire pit around, sits down the driveway, puts up a few chairs, two or three chairs. Mm-hmm. His buddies come, they sit down. Like in no time, it's like some guy neighbor is walking his dog. Yeah, yeah. He walks by. He didn't even know the guy, uh-huh. but the guy looks over and it's just like you know they greet, but and the guy's kind of like. Oh, what are you guys doing? Uh, almost like, mm-hmm. hey, can I, can I play? <laughs> can I play? Exactly. I, I like, I like that. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like cigars I and could, fire. And, then, and I could be in your group. Then <laughs> we could do stuff. <laughs> exactly. And we could trade Pokemon cards. Exactly. That's, that's, but that that is a yearning. It is, and so this starts this thing yeah. man and so um the first guy you know they had a, another chair there and they had a box of cigars hey man come sit down and join us this has been going on for about 8 years now uh, in Kansas City there uh, on any given week there's 40 to 45 fire pit groups across Kansas City what with dudes dan ended up writing a book called holy smoke uh, and so it's a thing man clever it's brilliant and it couldn't, and and so Dan says, he says, there's something about guy, and and we're talking conversions, we're talking about guys coming to the Lord, discipled, baptized, I mean, just the whole package. He said, there's something about. He said, you can get a group of small group of guys sitting around in a circle, looking into a fire, and they'll get honest. Mm. You know, it's it's That's almost it, yeah, it's almost not. You know, it's not like they would turn and look one another no, in the right, eye and go, right, "Hey, man, right, I'm struggling with porn, right." But they will stare head yeah. into that fire and tell the other That's guys, right. I'm struggling, guys. And it just, it's and, a beautiful thing. And, and it transforms neighborhoods. E- yes. A couple things about that. Even the hand motions of lighting a cigar, clipping off the end, lighting somebody else's, sitting around, you know, as a guy is really helpful. Yeah. Now, I'm, again, I'm not a cigar guy, but I just mean like you've got something you're doing. Right. And it so could it's be not anything. Just, it's not, hey, let's get together and share. Yeah, it could just be the fire. Anything. You don't have to smoke fire. pipes or the cigars. No, or, right. right. But there's something, but even that, or there's something we're doing, something I'm, we're not just, it's not just face to face sharing. Right, right. Like, let's gather in the living room and share. Like, right. No, no. It's not a Bible study. We're watching it's not, something else. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, th- I think there's something really good about that. There's something about the side by side, shoulder to shoulderness of it. Right. That's really cool. Second thing is, it's, it's tempting, though, in, the, in our culture. It, as a as somebody, let's say, okay, here we are in exile. I'm going to start this thing. It is tempting for us to jump ahead because we're Americans, mm-hmm. very entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. and we bring that into our Christianity to go. And then this will multiply, and then there will be 45 right, right people, and then there's going to be 45 <laughs> that's fires, right. and there's going to be right. we'll have a logo, yeah, we'll have a we'll like, have a Facebook page, right. we'll have it'll be Project <laughs> Mayhem. You know, it's going to be like Fight Club. Right. It's going to scroll. Exactly. Then I'll have yeah. Then I'll have a Facebook page. Like no. Stop yeah. all of that yeah, and just, just think. No, I like that guy that just walked by, and yeah, I want him to. That's it. I want him to know how good God is. A- absolutely, that's it. That's and, it. And if he's not interested, I still like him. A- Amen. Was hang like maybe we, maybe he likes Monty Python. We can laugh about whatever, stuff. right? Whatever. So I do want to watch that because some people are really good at executing and making things grow, and right. others of us like. No, right. that's not the objective. The objective is that person. Yeah. Oh, a third thing you made me think about. We did something. And we never followed up on it per se, but we probably should now. I forgot about it. It's weird. We lived in a townhouse community not far from here, very similar. 
but everybody's garage is back up to the same little lane. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see so people. So like an alley type of Yeah, alley alleys, or? back mm-hmm. alleys. Right. And everybody's garages are there. So they just opens the garage. They go in. We don't see them. Nobody goes out front because there wasn't any room out front. Uh, so we, again, this is so far out of my idiom. I hope people understand it. Like if I can do this, anyone can do this. Now, my wife's much more skilled socially, but I'm still trying. So this is not... It's not something that only certain people can do. It's like if you're willing to be awkward. We threw open our garage door and put a grill out barely into the alleyway where people could get around us. And this is it, you know, people coming home from work time. Mm-hmm. And we put up some things on people's um, doors, just flyers. said, we're going to grill hamburgers. Just stop by. You don't even have, you don't have to talk to us, but just grab a hamburger if you want, you know, <laughs> haha. And we were overrun with people and two different sets of people started crying. I'm not exaggerating. This is an affluent ish neighborhood. I I say like, it's a nice town neighborhood again because it's in South Florida, but it's like one woman started crying. She's like, no one talks here. Mm. She's like, I don't have any friends. No one talks. She's a single mom. She got a kid that was in middle school at the time. Little boy. Uh, Another couple we hit it off with. We're crying because like, we've never seen our community come together. And it turns out that they're believers. We didn't even know they were. Yeah. We just knew this guy. And it turns out this guy's uh, brother is this minister in prisons around the country. And it's, it's well known. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know him, but I know friends that knew him. And right. We were talking about how God shows up on the margins and stuff with these incredible conversations. And I mean... I'd never seen anything like it. it. Just from going it burgers. It couldn't have been easier. It couldn't have been easier. It was just yeah. burgers. And if you don't want them, just drive by, whatever. But my gosh, the hunger. It, it is palpable. And I, and I have seen this thing. I mean, some of the things that my wife and I did, very simple, you know, yeah, potluck type of deals. Sometimes we would even do uh, at, on our front porch. We had a big front porch covered. This was in Kansas City. Sidewalks. And you know, it's like a lot of neighborhoods don't have sidewalks anymore. And there's no place to walk to. Right. But we would sometimes in the summer, in the spring, in the afternoons, we would make homemade ice cream. And I mean, with the old crank, I, the one I grew up with, I mean, with the real, yeah, yeah. you know, not the Put easy, the throw in, it in there and turn no. the machine. No, no I, I was cranking it out, baby. Yeah, you have to take turns. Your grandma makes you and your brother yeah, has to switch on. All that, yeah, right. That. So we would make homemade ice cream and invite the neighbor. Hey, we're doing homemade ice cream tonight. Oh, everybody's like, they're there. Yeah. You know, and it's just fun, man. Just mm-hmm. Beauty, and it's not hard to do. It's about availability. It's not hard, and it is risk. I mean, my wife is an introvert. You're an introvert. It is. Risk. I mean, right now, actually, Brant is. He's got a sheet over his head right now because he <laughs> he's really an introvert. Uh, that's a risky thing in terms of your energy level. It's risky because it could come off as stupid, but people are dying hungry. I didn't plan this. So this is my neighbor who's brilliant. He and his wife just, they wanted to throw a party for their daughter's birthday. And they, it was during COVID at the height of it. So we did a street party right out here. Mm -hmm. And there's a guy here locally. He's like 18 years old. He's a really good DJ. And so we set up the DJ equipment in front of our townhouse. And we, he took chalk, the guy across the street, took chalk and drew on the street like big squares, like if you're going to dance, you need to stay in these squares <laughs> so we're, we're socially distanced. <laughs> Everybody came. No kidding. And it was a blast. It was just, <laughs> and we had dogs out there. We're jumping over leashes. There's kids. Now, for the listeners, if you could see this neighborhood, you you, you wouldn't expect 
a street dance party. No. In, I mean, this is a this is a pretty It's pretty. It's a pretty fancy little neighborhood. Well, that's here. I know you think that. I think well, I think if you spent more time, you would go, okay, this is isn't quite that fancy. I would see the ghetto part. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's here. It is pretty. It's but very no, pretty. it's just it just shows that's just an innate thing in every human being. We are tribal. Right. So in this affluent culture where everybody thinks they want privacy. Yeah. They're dying, dying for it for connection. Yep. So that wasn't like that was just something he just did. He's a he's a great guy. Just like he's a tennis pro. Just mm. not, but he's got this gift for bringing people together that I don't have. I can still be a part of that. I danced my head off too. <laughs> I'm, I'm like people were agog at the tenacity of my moves. Was it kind of like the Elaine Bennis? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have no, even though I am an introvert, I have no qualms busting moves in public. Yeah. So that's just, to me, it was another indicator of how people are just ready to ready to go. Yeah. There's another guy here who jumped on our community Facebook page and out of nowhere, honestly, he spends a lot of time like complaining about this or that. And then he jumps in, he's like, you know what? I'm bringing food trucks. So he's been doing that. I haven't been to one yet, but I heard the crowd <laughs> show up. He just brings one food truck Every month or so. Wow. Into the neighborhood? Into the neighborhood, parks it on the street, and people are, they come out of the woodwork. It's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, but this is all stuff we can do. It's, it's not complicated. No, at just, all. I'm just kind of throwing out ideas. Right. With, right. There was a, uh, a, a, one of our neighbors wanted to do, what did they call it? Oh, I'm sorry. It was a dog get together mm-hmm. and they had a cute name for it. Yeah. Some people do like pop up dog parks type of deal. Yeah. You know, so they just took like a community space, area. Like right. just a green area, and yeah. then like bring your dog. It had some alcoholic thing to it. It rhymed with dogs mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like bring your bring a beer and a dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was well attended. People were looking to connect. Yeah. They, they, they really are. And I know I've seen over and over and over like in neighborhoods where we've lived and done some of these experiments. Some of the people that you think are the most uh, intentionally isolated and want their privacy, a lot of times they're the first ones to jump mm-hmm. in. Yeah, you don't you don't realize it until there's, the invitation yep. is issued. Yep. And no one else is doing it. And here's one, one weird thing about the Babylon we're in is they don't know how to have a party now. Right. They True. don't. And it's, I'm, I'm, I mean it. Like, we, we can be the weird ones who are actually the glue because the rest of the society is falling apart. Yeah into isolation. So yep. the weird ones could be the ones known for, we're the only ones. Right. Generally, no, there's the exceptions, but we, we're the only ones that are like, I want to bring everybody together. Yeah. And and here here's the other piece that's really happened in our culture is the lack and, and ever, you know, it's almost like everybody politically correctly will say we need diversity, but most people are not willing to lean into it. No, so we're we so, we're, we're, we put everybody in categories. And so it's like, there's this thin line of acceptance. It's like, look, you have to check off all 14 boxes. And then I'll hang with you. Then I'll hang with you. But yeah. if you check one of the boxes on the other on the on the right and I'm on the left, you're out, you know, or vice versa. Right. It's like you got to you got it's all one way or the other and we were talking on another podcast about like the TV show Cheers. These are people that are socioeconomically diverse, politically diverse mm-hmm. and yeah, they can actually be friends. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, again, that's that's us being able to shine. Yeah. If we're that way. Like our tolerance level for oddness can be so high. Right. Like we can, is that the right way to put it? Like, I mean, just we, whatever. Like bring, bring yourself. We're not, right. we're not scandalized and put off 
right. in, in a culture that always is. Right. But we're not. We're the ones who aren't. That'd right. be awesome. Right. It's a that real we opportunity. Would be unoffendable. And we'd be unoffendable. <laughs> you know, I just caught something. I know everybody who's like into the Bible knows this stuff, but I just, for whatever reason, hit me hard the other day, just with politics, that Matthew notes when he's going down the list of disciples, Matthew himself notes that he's a tax collector. Mm-hmm. And then he notes Simon, who was a zealot. And he puts those like together. Mm-hmm. And this, they, they, that's the only two that he mentions what they do or who mm-hmm. they are. So a zealot would be completely opposed to a tax collector. I mean, there's complete oh, opposite yeah. fences politically. One, one's point. like, I'm against everything that you stand for. Right. Both of them. You think there was some tension early on? In totally. That but I Come love on. that Matthew himself yes. wrote that to, to illustrate we're together. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Like that is, he, he himself is self-aware right. and says the tax collector and the zealot. I'm the tax collector. That's, this that's, guy's my I've friend. I've never heard anybody talk about That's a really good one. And then you think about Jesus and his intuition to put these guys together. I'm going to put these guys together yeah. Yeah. to yeah. show the world what God is like and what yeah. community can be. Really and what, like, yeah. And like, so we can have this, this tolerance that's just wildly different. Right. And, and, we, that, and, and it, we might just learn something from one another, we, too. Yes, and we would, wouldn't we? <laughs> I think we would. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to take that bedrock that we talked about earlier, just like, I'm not leaving. No matter what. Like, yep. you're still my brother. You're still my sister. And we're sticking this out, by right. golly. We're like, dug in. Yeah. We're dug in. And that's what incarnational ministry is all about, you know, is that the, the whole issue, when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, it's not just that he sends us, but he sends us in like manner that he sent Jesus. How did he send Jesus? He sent Jesus in the flesh as, in the flesh as a normal human fitting into the culture, digging deep. I mean, think about it. So Jesus spends 30 years in the culture What's he doing that whole 30 years before uh-huh. we start seeing him talked about in the Gospels? Well, he's digging into the culture, right? He's listening. He's learning. He's becoming friends with people. And obviously, he's learning a trade, you know, and all that. And you know what else he's learning? It's Scripture. No doubt. I mean, he's so dug into that. Right. He's able to recall it constantly. Right, right. He's constantly referring back to it. So, right. again, in terms of not assimilating. Right. That's forming the ethos of... Yes. The way he's going to think, right, right, to be for people, he's so he's he's going to go deep into yeah. scripture, right, and understand that. I love that. Yeah, and you know, and bringing that up, so I love the way John one fourteen. You know, John one fourteen says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I love the way Eugene Peterson put it. He says the word of God was made flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Yeah, love that. Moved into the neighborhood. So you think about the word word. This made me think about when you think about scripture. There's a lot of definitions for the word word. Right. So if I was to say to you, hey, Brent, I give you my word. What am I saying to you? I promise. I promise you. Here's my promise. Uh Or if you say to me, hey, I got a word on that. What are you saying? I got an opinion about that. Uh So I thought about if the word is made flesh and moves into the neighborhood, then that means God's promises move into the neighborhood. God's opinions move into the neighborhood. Now, if we think in terms of incarnational ministry, I have been sent into this neighborhood. I have been sent to incarnate the Word of God. That means my life, my actions, my modes, my interactions, my conversation with my neighbors should evoke the Word, the promises of God, and the opinions of God. God loves you. I love Brendan Manning. Mm -hmm. God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. Mm Right. So that's God's opinion God's about opinion. you. That's God's opinion about you. You yeah. know, when most people think God's opinion about them is, 
you know, they're on a thin line. He's about to take them out. You know, God's going to swat you down. You're not living up to the standards. You're not acceptable. Da 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 da. No, that's not God's opinion of you. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us to project that. And when He sends Jesus into the world, and we're sent that way, like Jesus is non-coercive. Oh yeah. People can walk away from Him. Like again, He doesn't. He doesn't go running. Like no, no, no. Yeah. You. Right. So we're non-coercive presences steeped in truth and like you said showing god's opinion which freaks people out when you actually love them and it they does. know you're a christian because they just expect people to be idiots yeah yeah but i like freaking people out that way yeah. i think it's actually that really really nice fun. surprise yeah, yeah. absolutely uh-huh. and if they still object to your existence there are some people that will be that way sure okay i still i'm gonna bless them whether yeah, they and like you know, that's what not. paul said you know he says to some we're gonna be the realm of life to some we're gonna be the realm of death yep we shouldn't try to be, you know, offensive to say the least. It's like some Christians almost take pride in. I mean, I I remember, gosh, I was young out of Bible college and was probably a zealot. I was a fine young Pharisee, and I'm out in West Texas on staff at this church. And I remember one day, I did. I had I had very much this mentality. What we just talked about early on in this Jeremiah 29 passage. I had this very very much a us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, man, we got to yeah, shake our fist at the world. Right, you know, and that zealot type of deal. So I remember I was driving one day going somewhere. I was actually in a church van, driving this church van. And I see a couple of young Mormons. You know, clearly they're on their bicycles. They got their white shirts and their ties and everything. And you hit them with the van? Dude, no. That's I, terrible. I, 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 I almost did, but, you know, now you're projecting now. You're projecting you're judging me. Just choking. Yeah. Get back under. Go your, ahead. Do your get back answer. under your sheet. Sorry. Right? Okay. So, so I did. I pulled up in front of them and I jumped out of the van and I stopped them and I just ripped into them. Oh. I told them how unwelcome they were in our city. Oh. Our church had a candlestick in the city and that I just told them everything and they were just sweet and took it, you know. And I drove off thinking, well, I really, I really did something for the Lord. You know, I really, I drew, well, I, I put a stake in the ground. And it's like, it's terrible. Yeah. It's just horrific. We've you all know? done dumb stuff. Yeah. Would you tell a story on yourself a little better about myself? If I could think of something <laughs> that bad. Uh, <laughs> but, but you no, know, there I, are. I have, I, I have absolutely taken stands. Oh, yeah. And you yeah, think. Yeah, you got to take a stand. Yeah. You know? And like, in retrospect, oh, man. Now, you know what? Okay, I'll tell you something I'm really embarrassed by. Well, so I tried to be a youth minister out of college, mainly because my brother did that and it's family business, you know. And I did, I did care, but I remember do, showing this movie that was very um, hellfire, mm. like a drama where these kids get in a car accident, and they, right. all, they all go to hell or whatever because they didn't, they didn't worship Jesus in time. And it was over, and there was a girl who was not a believer who was there. But she was open. She'd been to church several times and part of the youth group. And she's like, that was awful. Like, why would you show something like that? Mm. I don't think that's fair. She's like 17. She's like, I just think that was really manipulative. I'm really disappointed. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I defended it. Like, well, you know, sorry, the truth sometimes. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking back, I'm like, that was the worst, most manipulative, stupidest yeah. thing. And she was so right. I just want to... Go back and yeah, and you just want to. You are one perceptive, yes. smart person, young lady. Yeah, I think that probably was worse than what I did. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cringy. It's really cringy, yeah. and I'm so sorry, but yeah, yeah. Like, because it was coercive. Right. It wasn't, and, it, and look, it's and not what, about the reality. Like, yes, I believe that there's eternal life to be had, so, and that we right. can opt out of it. Like people, and look, we expose. We are to expose the unrighteous deeds of darkness, right? So we're not saying, oh, well, we're to cowtown, yada yada. But that's if you look at Jesus and you look at his encounters with people, you just see a different node. You see a different way. You see, you know, he is walking along and we, I mean, we were talking about, you know, you see the woman at the well, he immediately shows acceptance as a human being. Yes. She's this Samaritan woman, uh, you know, which most of our listeners, they're going to know that's a violation on several levels. He's not supposed to be there. Right, He's not right. supposed to be interacting with her. And then to say, Hey, can can I drink some water? Would you give me some water? I want to drink out of your utensil. It just overwhelms her with, hey, you're a human being. Yeah, and the people who are attracted to him, to Jesus, were all the right people. I mean, if he was just going around showing videos of everybody going to hell, there's no way that the weak, the poor, the outcast, the tax collectors, the women, the people with bad right. reputations would be like, yes, thank you. Thank you for showing everybody going to hell. Yeah. There's no way. No. You know what, something, something else about that story, if you don't mind me saying? Yeah. I think it, it really has to do with what we're talking about. So Jesus is with that woman. I was rereading that story not that long ago, and there was something I'd never seen before. And I literally stopped myself. I'm like, how does this turn out? So she goes back into her town, and she's like, this guy could be the Messiah. So they, what do they do? They invite him to stay with them for a few days. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd never noticed that before. And I literally stopped reading. I'm like, okay. I don't remember any story about Jesus going to stay with people for a few days, like after this. So I wonder what he actually says. What does he do with his invitation? Right. But what he does is he says yes, and he actually stays with them for a few days. Wow. And I'd never noticed that before. And I know it seems like a— I, I don't think I've thought about it really. the most innocuous thing, right? But, yeah. But what, what? So he actually did say, okay. Yeah, I'll hang out. I'll hang with you guys. <laughs> the disciples were with him. I don't know what happened to them. Yeah. But he just said, Yeah. Yeah. And went into this town where they're not, they're wrong about everything doctrinally. I mean, there's all sorts of wrong yeah. things that they believe that she believed or whatever. Like that, that wasn't the point, was it? Like right. he was literally like, yeah, right. I'm in. Which the beauty of that, <laughs> it's I incredible. mean, no, it's powerful because the idea is, okay, we're going to spend extended time here to develop this situation, right? This relationship versus how we have looked at We've turned evangelism into an event, even yeah, even whether it's, and I'm not talking just like a church event. Oh, we're having a revival June 14th through 25th. Bring all your unsaved friends, you know, and there's this evangelist that's going to, you know, get them saved or whatever. I'm even one-on-one nodes of evangelism. We've got so much of it backwards. Um, my buddy Hugh Halter wrote a book called Flesh that deals with the in- incarnational living, the stuff we've been talking about uh-huh. today. And so he created this really helpful little chart that he called, he called it flow, the, the work of an evangelist. And so he just basically, this little chart about what he sees the nodes of Jesus in these little micro stories. And so the first one, he starts with incarnation. So it's this, everything we've talked about so far, it's proximity, presence, longevity. The second thing is he starts developing a reputation, trust. And you see the woman at the well. You see the woman caught in adultery. You see Zacchaeus. We just story after story at these one on one. He develops a a trust relationship. Then he moves on to conversation. He starts engaging them in conversation. One with the well. So uh, so uh, it's almost like tell me a little bit about yourself. So uh, 
uh, you married? You, you know, you know, no, I'm not married. Uh, no, you're not, are you? you? You've actually been married five times, right? You know, so, mm-hmm. and you're, you're living with a guy right now. But he, he doesn't start off with that. He doesn't account her immediately at the well and say, hey, you are an adulteress. He develops a relationship. So he moves from proximity and presence, incarnation, to trust through reputation. He gets into this conversation. Then you start getting into confrontation, truth in love. And this is what John 1.14 says. It says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then the next verse says, and we beheld his glory full of grace mm-hmm. and truth. So there's this yin and yang between grace mm-hmm. and truth. So you don't have one or just the other. So the woman at the well, I mean, the woman caught in adultery, you know, it's uh, okay, he without sin, throw the first stone. Jesus is kneeling down as the crowd disperses after he makes that statement. He stands up. It's just him and the woman. He looks at her, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none left, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Don't you think grace and truth? Don't you think, given like that trajectory, just think rather than thinking about me as an individual, this is how to do it. I'm thinking globally, or at least in our country where we are, that the church itself or Christians themselves are only at the trust building. We're back to square one with yeah. people because they don't trust us. Right. And like as a culture, we have to we have to work overtime, care about people genuinely. Yeah. And not just go straight to the confrontation at right. this point. If you don't mind, I'll just I'll wrap this up with a yeah. story I, th- I thought was interesting. A friend of mine is same-sex attracted and is brilliant on issues about that. Just brilliant. Counseling background, all that. So he's mm-hmm. a wonderful guy. But he realizes how alienated people in the gay community or the LGBT community are from Christians. Mm-hmm. So he got a group of people, and I went with him twice to the Pride Parade in um, Sacramento, and all we did was hand out water. That's it. There was no objective mm-hmm. other than they know that we're believers and we're giving them what we're not there to say, rah, rah, rah. Right. We're not there to say, you're wrong. He's like, we're, we're so far away from having a genuine conversation mm, that it's going to take. We have to start here. <laughs> exactly. Right. We're going to have to just start saying, man, it's 100 degrees in June. In Sacramento. And people are going to be thirsty. And you're going to be thirsty. Here's some water. We love you. Yeah. That's all. We're not yeah. there. There's people set up to with big signs condemning them to hell. Sure. And then there's all sorts of churches in the parade. Like, way to go. Right. And just to have somebody just go, here's some water. That's just where he felt we are. And I think that's true. Yeah, no. Like, we're so far away from being able to... We just haven't built that trust. It's, yeah. Like, as a culture, maybe we need to be thinking about that, those first... Absolutely. Engagements. Right. Like, this is who we really are right now. Right. Understand. It's not. Like- right. And here's what the, here, here, here's what we all as believers need to understand. Like just what you just said there. Most of us would be sitting here going, yep, man, that's what the church needs to do. The big C church. That's, yeah, church needs, yeah, Christians yeah. need to do that. Look. Writ large. Right. No, we need right. to do this. And if we would do this on a, in a micro level, we just might change the world. We would. We know? would. I know we would. Yeah. They're dying for this. Yeah, it's the, the kingdom is in their heart. Like the yearning. Right. right. And you know, and you know what? I might not be. Well, I can't change my city, but I, I can affect my neighborhood. Uh-huh. I can have a real effect on my neighborhood. I can have a real effect on my floor in my apartment building. I can have a real effect. But if you left, people would go, dang it. Yeah. I hate, I hate that they left. I hate it. Yeah.